I am very excited because this week is the 128th meeting between UNC and UVA in the South's oldest rivalry, which I think is like more than anything, I think that's what bonds us and creates this show is that we both hate UNC. And as much of a rivalry as NC State has with Carolina, I'm not saying that you don't have that, but ours is older. Yeah, almost as many years as there are points that UNC's favored by this weekend. Almost. Almost. You know, I think a hatred for Carolina is what bonds us all as humans, really. I will be pulling hard for UVA this weekend. I usually support UVA when they're not playing NC State and uh, when they're not playing Tech because my lovely wife is a Hokie. But this weekend, a little extra. A little bit extra. I'm going to pull for pull for the Who's to defend democracy and civilization from the evil that is a top 10 ranked Carolina team. Yeah, it's weird seeing them in the standings ahead of Alabama. That's just very jarring. But it's wrong. Also, like, I mean, just like let them play. Zoom out a little bit. Just watching them. Do you really think Carolina is better than Alabama? No, I don't think so. Drake May once committed to Alabama, then decommitted to go to Carolina. It's because of NIL. If, if Drake May was at Alabama right now, they would be unquestioned the best team in the country. I don't know. I like Jalen Milrow. I think he's pretty good. but He's yeah. not Drake May. That's true. <laughs> and like that's been the one weakness that everybody's taught. I mean, there are other weaknesses to that team. The offensive line's not great. But I'm just saying, picture a world where Drake May is not evil and plays for Alabama. <laughs> Noted good guys. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was going to say that that's, makes him more positive. I guess a little bit. Not but. much. Yeah, so this will be, like I said, the 128th meeting. The series started in 1892, and once they play, it will be the second, it will be tied for the second most played rivalry in the FBS. Uh, It will tie Georgia and Auburn, which is the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Do you know the number one most played rivalry? I'm going to go like Harvard-Yale. Well, FBS. Oh. Yeah, I mean, there are plenty. That wasn't always the... Okay. Is it a Big Ten? It is a Big Ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, is Minnesota involved? Mm -hmm. Minnesota, Wisconsin? That's right. Minnesota, Wisconsin. That. Very good. I think that comes maybe from NCAA 14. Yeah. (laughs) I -hmm. think think that's what I learned. That probably is playing that video game. Yeah, so wanted to give a brief history lesson for all you folks out there about why this is a hated rivalry, even though it's known as a gentleman's rivalry mm. on some parts of this. I hate that. Well, oh, okay. A little gentleman's rivalry. Uh, so on Wikipedia, they have a little insert there about gentleman's rivalry, and it, somebody who's clearly a Carolina person wrote, like, Carolina does not recognize it as a gentleman's rivalry. <laughs> they are incapable. They have never heard of that. <laughs> They're incapable of recognizing that. Yeah. So uh, back in the day... These teams were both powerhouses in the South, and their games would often determine who won the Southern Championship, which was an important thing at the turn of the century. Interestingly, UVA has played Trinity College, now known as Duke, and Wake Forest. They played before this UNC rivalry, but not as many opportunities to play each other as this rivalry. Uh, It was always played on Thanksgiving weekend and usually the last game of the year for both schools in uh, from like 1893 up until World War II. The 1928 game was such a big deal that Calvin Coolidge 
brought his wife down to come tailgate and watch the game, but they ended up leaving because it was cold. Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Noted fan. <laughs> Love it. Love it. A couple other things that I found out looking at this rivalry. There is a dispute about what the overall record is because in 1956, Carolina forfeited a game because of an ineligible player. However, Carolina and their athletic department refuses to acknowledge that they did that. So they count that as a victory for them, even though they forfeited, which is just seems like the most Carolina thing ever to do. And of course, there was the Ronald Curry situation more recently in the 90s where Ronald Curry was committed to be quarterback for George Welsh and was going to UVA, and that made George Welsh not recruit Michael Vick because... He already had his quarterback, and then at the last minute, Ronald Curry bowed out and decided to go to Carolina. Wasn't it because of Boo Williams? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Mm. That's right. God, AAU basketball coaches are the worst. Mm-hmm. They are. <laughs> Can't trust as them. As you're wearing a as t-shirt I'm, from our AAU team. Yeah, exactly. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it's a very contentious rivalry. I actually, you know, I think it doesn't get as much attention Obviously now, because UVA football is down, Carolina's up. But like, if you look at the last 40 years, UVA actually has a winning record over Carolina. And for a long period of time, Carolina had this curse where they could not win in Charlottesville. Mm. But in recent years, it hasn't gone the way of the Who's, including last year. There was a 38 or 31-28 close victory for Carolina, even in a bad season for us. So hoping we can turn it around. I think uh, you guys ought to take a page from Carolina's book. They brought Mac, no. Bow- Mac Brown back from the dead. You should bring George Welsh back from the dead. Let's uh, let's have him go at it again. George Welsh was seven and three against Mac Brown. I'm saying yeah. so. So well, good luck. Thank you. Uh, We're gonna need it. Yeah, I don't have a lot of faith this is gonna go super well. But you know what? I don't know. You gotta hope in something. You gotta have faith in something. I, maybe this goes well. It's a CW game, so it's going to get weird. I love that it's on the CW. Yeah. That is great. That yeah. Carolina makes it into the top 10 and they're now on the Immediately CW. Immediately banished to after an episode of Gilmore Girls. There was some crazy stuff that happened. Just absolute nonsense. And yeah. maybe UVA can just capitalize on that. So going into the weekend, first and foremost, you have Colorado just coasting to victory, up 29 nothing against Stanford. And then Stanford decides to rally and win in double overtime because their right wide receiver, one guy, goes for 297 yards. Yeah. Can't wait for him to transfer to USC. <laughs> okay. You know, USC might need that <laughs> yeah. at this point. That was that game was unreal. I didn't stay up for the whole thing. I saw more than you did. I think you I went to bed at halftime, yeah. confident in a bet that I had that Colorado would win by four because it was twenty nine nothing. Turned off the TV. Yeah. Put the covers up. I saw Stanford score once, maybe twice. But still had no feeling that like, oh, this game is in jeopardy. But turns out 
Turns out it was. What a what a wacky game. That was wacky. The Boise State Colorado State game was wacky. Mm-hmm. It was thirty to ten with like four minutes to go. Boise is up and loses on a hail mary. Yeah. And, and uh, what was the other game that was a hail mary? Houston West. Houston Virginia. West Virginia also on a hail mary. That game was wild too. Yeah, the Dana Hogerson Bowl. That guy has been crushing bush lights since that game, just nonstop. I don't know. His assistants have to be running the team this week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's no way he's functioning as a human being. And, and I think the underrated thing in that, the storyline in that game, right, is like West Virginia was 4 and 1 going into that, 2 and 0 in the Big 12, looking like it could be a good WVU season. They were, the Mountaineers were kind of feeling themselves. Um, with their only loss being to a really good Penn State team, but yeah, that one hurts a little bit if you're if you're the ears. Yeah, so those games were wild, but not the most important games of the past weekend. I think we not would have us. to say Oregon Washington instant classic of a game. Dan Lanning had several opportunities to kick field goals or punt, and instead decided to be very aggressive right at the end of the first half. He goes for a touchdown rather than taking points. He does it again later in the game. And then, of course, right at the end of the game, they have a chance to win by going for it around midfield on fourth and three. And, of course, miss it, giving the ball back to Washington. They score immediately. So what what did you think of those calls in real time? Hated them. We were at a friend's house watching and... With the one right before halftime, I was sitting there saying, I said it out loud, I've witnessed this kick field goal. Kick that one, I feel like, is the worst one. Yeah, like, probably. That one is, you're right at halftime, take the three points. Take the points. You're still down at that point, I think. Yeah. But not by much. Take the points. It was going to be, I think that would have made it, it like. It was 22 to 18. So that would have made time. it 22 to 21. You're right. Yeah. Come on. In a game like that, it's been back and forth. All those points matter, and I understand maybe there's I, – I think, like, this is where I think people, coaches included, get lost in the analytics thing. And I'm not saying analytics are bad. I'm not sa- – like, whatever. But it's not – it's never the whole picture, right? So here, there's analytics that suggest basically if it's, like, fourth and four or less, fourth or three or less, and you're within a certain yard line, which they were well within because it was, like, fourth and goal, I think the analytics suggest you should just go for it pretty much every time. What that doesn't consider is game context. So the way this game is going, you have a chance to get points right before halftime. I just think you always take that when it's a one possession game. Those points, as we saw, end up coming back and then you have another chance. The last one, going for it to try to like ice the game basically, that's probably the one I understand the most. Especially because you are around midfield, you you got to make sure you're really precise punting the ball if you want to try to pen them down. If you're if that's what you're gonna do, and I just think that in that situation, like I can understand wanting to go for it, I really can. But the earlier ones, you got to take the points against a team like this. Yeah, I think especially at the one at halftime, like I said, that one seemed obvious. There's no more seconds left. Take the points, go into halftime, make it a one point game. I think the last play, the problem I had was that it was three yards and they were set up on third down to be in a position to get the first down. Mm -hmm. They do kind of a slow run play that ends up getting tackled for a loss. 
and making it fourth and three. But even that one, I'm okay with. Honestly, like, it had a situation work out for them. I mean, Washington, their offense is so good. You have to anticipate that they might be able to go down the field, which they did. They got the ball back. They got themselves in field goal range, and they have a pretty good kicker. So, like, it would have worked out okay, but you could also say if they had those three points from any of those earlier drives, then it wouldn't have come down to that kick. But in general, I love it. Like, I, I wasn't as mad about the last two decisions because we all the time complain that coaches are too conservative. They punt the ball. They play not to lose. And especially in a game like that with Washington, Michael Penix, your two corners are banged up. I feel like that is context, too, to say, go for it. I guess my thought is, like, with the first one, you sort of, and arguably for the first two, but you, you dig yourself a hole. Well, then you get to the second one, you almost feel like you have to go for it. Right. And then the third one, like, is a different situation, but now you've almost set a tone. Well, I mean, that first one, sorry, but just to make it even worse, like, they were getting the ball to start the second half. Right. Take the points, you get the ball, and, like, that ended up being a three and out but you don't know that's what it's going to be. I'm sitting there thinking I can make it a one point game. And then if I could just get a field goal on that first drive of second half, now I've got the lead. Washington gets the ball and they scored. It's 29, 18 should be 29, 21. Then that next time comes on the very next possession where if it's another field goal, you're looking at a 29, 24 game. You're within a touchdown. Like every, it changes the entire complexion of the game. And I just, I, I don't know. I think like, I understand the argument of, yes, we do often as football fans, like talk about wanting teams to go for it more, be more aggressive. But like, I remember as a, as a Panthers fan with the whole riverboat Ron thing and Ron Rivera started going for it and then he got like real into it and it was like, okay, yes, but sometimes conventional wisdom does apply. And the idea of playing field position and penning a team down is a good idea. And I think at the end of that game, you have a lead. If it had been fourth and one, would you have changed your calculus on that? Because i that's where I think the fact that it was three yards is difficult. Three yards is tough. And they had converted on a couple of two-point conversions. So you think, okay, that's basically the same distance. So I can see why you have confidence. But if it's like fourth and one or fourth and less, 100% of the time I'm going for that. I'm definitely higher, higher confidence in that. Fourth and three, though, 47-yard line, just over two minutes left. I mean, it's a dynamic offense. They went 53 yards in 30 seconds to score Washington's, I mean. But I still think I would rather I would rather pin them down. I mean, yeah, fourth and one is different, and and but it wasn't fourth and one, right? So like in that situation, I think with the situation they actually had, two eleven left in the game, fourth and three at the forty seven, punt the ball. Trust your defense. The defense hadn't been terrible. That Washington team is very very good. I know they scored thirty six points, but like at that point in time, I just feel like the risk outweighs the reward. Even if you even if punt goes to the end zone, it's still a 27-yard difference in field position, which makes a pretty big difference for how your defense can play that. So, I just think he got a little too into the analytics and well, we should do this and and I don't even know aggressive. if it's analytics though. Like I, mean, I just I, feel it, like it's arrogance, you know, more than more than analytics. It's just him being like, "Yeah, we're going to do this." I think it's a combination, but generally he is and he has uh 
pretty sure he's talked about this publicly that he tends to subscribe to like if it's fourth and four or fourth and three or less, he goes for it. So, you know, that seems to be his approach to the game. So what is it with Oregon coach? Like Mario Cristobal not kneeling at the end of a game. Now Dan Lanning has this like... <laughs> that we, is not on analytics. No. Not kneeling the ball. <laughs> I, I know that you like to blame things on analytics, but no, that just is saying, just like, insane. Oregon football coaches or former Oregon football coaches just being idiots. Like Chip Kelly? Yeah. Chalk it up. <laughs> but I think the biggest thing, I don't want this to take away from the fact that like we thought, this game proved to people that this Washington team is legit. This I think is, both teams are legit. Oh, absolutely. Both quarterbacks are legit and should be the two favorites for the Heisman, honestly. Absolutely. But I don't know that I, – I, I got the sense, big picture, that not as many people were believing in this Washington team. Oregon, we're used to being really, really good. And, like, you're just like, yeah, of course, Bo Nix, Bo Nix, Bo Nix, Bo Nix. Like, he's everywhere. Michael Penix is better. And I think that – uh, unless he just like falls off a cliff the rest of the year, Michael Penix. I mean, these guys probably are your top two, and I think Michael Penix. He should be the favorite. Should be the favorite right now. Yeah. One guy who was the favorite. Ooh. Caleb Williams, Ooh. USC quarterback, did not play his best game no. at Notre Dame. Three first half interceptions, and I will say Notre Dame just beat them up defensively. I mean, they played man coverage the whole game and basically just challenged the wide receivers with their corners and just shut them down. Yeah. Pressure in his face the entire game. USC still had like more yards and more time of possession and Notre Dame, it didn't matter because they forced so many mistakes, five overall turnovers. I have to say that is a game that is very frustrating to me. I had a financial interest in mm -hmm. USC playing well, and they did not play well at all. But, yeah, Notre Dame has the fourth best passing efficiency defense in the country and have allowed five touchdowns all season and picked off nine passes. Like, that is insanely good and perhaps didn't give them enough credit coming into that game that they were going to put pressure on Caleb Williams in that offense. College football quarterbacks, there are some really good ones, right? Sam Hartman is great. Caleb Williams is great. Drake May, all these guys, very talented. There is still a significant difference made in a game when you're able to put consistent pressure on them. I just find that oftentimes college football protection schemes are not super complex when you compare them to NFL teams. I think that there is less time to spend and like just maybe it's just not as much experience and like obviously pros are going to be better at something than college players but college quarterbacks just don't often like I find they don't process those pressure packages as well and as quickly and especially if you can get creative with it especially if you can make it so he doesn't necessarily know where it's coming from and we knew going into this game that one of the holes on this USC team was their offensive line. That is a gap in their skill and, you know, it's one of the weaker position groups for them. So it makes sense. And Marcus Freeman was very clear about this. You can't just, he talked about how you can't just send a three-man rush, sit back and be passive and hope to contain things. You got to get after him and take some risks. And, and hats off, this is the aggressiveness that I like. This is like where it makes sense to say, if we sit back and just hope that Caleb Williams makes some mistakes, we have enough evidence to suggest he's not going to do that. So you have to force him to make mistakes. 
I've been saying this is the book on how to beat Sam Hartman too. If you are able to scheme up pressure, which really, honestly, they didn't have to scheme up too much. No. But they did scheme up some and having a plan to be able to attack him, right, and make him try to force mistakes, you know, I think that's that's a go-to game plan for any of these guys. And they did it. And then on the flip side, they protected Sam Hartman. He didn't have an amazing game, but he wasn't sacked a single time. He was barely hurried, right? So if you're able to protect your quarterback, get after the other quarterback. Sometimes I think it's so simple. You can get an advantage on the line, whether that's, again, protecting yours or getting after theirs. It's amazing how many times that results in a win or a loss. All the other is peripheral and... It affects games for sure, but sometimes, like if you can sack the other quarterback six times and keep yours upright, I'd be shocked if you lose that game. Totally agree with that. It's just wild to see the stats of this game afterwards yeah. and see that it was a 28-point game. Like yeah. 35 minutes of possession compared to 25 for USC to Notre Dame. USC had 23 first downs, and Notre Dame only had 13 in the whole game. And still, like four touchdowns, mm-hmm. and we've been. We said last week, like I specifically said, that this was going to happen to USC at some point. They've been playing around for too many times and just hoping that Caleb Williams can solve all of their problems, particularly on the de- defensive side. And they really put them in a situation where Caleb Williams felt pressure to try to make plays because their defense wasn't going to stop Notre Dame. Here you go. There it, yeah. there it is. Big time game. Uh, yeah. USC falters in the rain and cold. Hope they enjoy that in the Big Ten. They're going to have a lot of those games coming up in yeah. their future. And they're going to have to figure out some stuff moving forward. I mean, thinking about roster construction, it's different. We talk about it all the time, and sometimes I think it gets overblown about conference to conference stylistically, how it compares and teams like Ohio State show you can still be like flashy and spread the thing out and like get vertical and all this these things that USC wants to do. But also, if you just look at NFL drafts over the last decade, 20 years, whatever, almost forever, look at the linemen on both sides of the ball drafted from the Big Ten. These teams have dogs in the trenches. And USC's got to figure that out. They're going to have to figure out some defensive stuff just generally, right? Like they're not good at almost any level of of the defense. They're, I don't want to say not good. They're not good enough for the level that they want to compete at. But, you know, I mean, I I think that this is proof that like no matter how good, look, Caleb Williams is far and away the best player in college football. Like I, I just, especially at quarterback, there's no doubt about that. This just goes to show that like that's not enough. You can't just count on that one guy to just carry you to wins. You still have to have a team around him. I mean, he lost himself the Heisman. Like, there's no doubt. Unless he just comes out and throws for 10 touchdowns a game the rest of the way. Right. But, like, he still is going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. He is an exceptionally talented quarterback. But that coaching staff has got to figure out how to build a team around a quarterback. I mean, he's going to be gone. But how to build a team around a quarterback. Or not just – you can't just have a star or two. It's got to be – there's got to be more pieces than that. Yeah, when you're playing in the Big Ten West, I assume that's where they're going, and you're going to have to face Iowa, a team that is comfortable winning games with only 37 passing yards. You're going to have to figure out how to do that. 
honestly, this is I'd I don't, rather not. I don't think people <laughs> understand this. We are staring down the barrel of an eleven and one Iowa team that is one Big Ten championship game away from making the playoff. Yeah, that's. I mean, they're now in the driver's seat to make the Big Ten championship. They beat up on Wisconsin in one of the most frustrating games I've ever watched in my life. 18 total punts, and they won. Gave up more total yards, only six completions in the entire game. Didn't matter. Their defense is still so good. Here's something that I saw online. Last year, Iowa had the 129th ranked offense. This year, they have improved to 128th. Now that Brian Ferentz's contract is on the line. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. They're still in a perfect position to contend for the playoff. I mean, Deal with that, it's, USC. It's a weird... It is such a weird situation because I just can't see them getting to the, the points benchmark that they've set out for him. No. There's no chance. But they're going to be one of the... They're going to play in a New Year's Day bowl game. At nothing and he's else. going to get fired. Yeah. I mean, like... You cause and this is what part of the problem. Well, could they fire could they like terminate this contract and then immediately turn around and sign him to a different oh, contract? Probably. I mean, but but in terms of like Nepo baby it's behavior. Just, yeah, it's just hard to imagine because you were so public about this whole threshold and the idea that you could go eleven and one, upset Michigan or what up, up well, upset somebody in the Big Ten championship game. And then go to the college football play. I hope they win a national championship while averaging 19 points a game or something. Yeah. And he gets fired. <laughs> <laughs> I I just think there's something about that that would be hilarious. My favorite thing, so they just had this like women's basketball preseason or a scrimmage or mm-hmm. whatever in the football stadium. That was very cool. Yeah, it was very cool. Caitlin Clark scored 34 points. So Caitlin Clark. Scored more points in that basketball <laughs> game in Kinnick Stadium than that football team has scored in a home conference game since 2021. They have to know ahead of time that if they're going to do it in Kinnick Stadium, that people are just going to be prepared. Or, or you got to like sit Caitlin Clark after the first quarter <laughs> so that this doesn't happen. Yeah. Hilarious stuff. Just more things about Iowa's ineptitude on offense. So... This is kind of getting ahead a little bit, but this week they play Minnesota. Have you looked at the point total for yeah, that game? Yeah, it's 32. Yeah. So I got 32 and a half. But, okay. But this is when this was put People together. People are hammering the over. <laughs> 32 and a half, which is the third lowest total in college football history. Okay. Second lowest total was last December. Iowa played a bowl game against Kentucky. <laughs> that was the second lowest. The lowest ever. Was it like Army Navy? Nope. No. It was a month one? before that. Oh last November, Iowa played minnesota and that was the lowest that has ever ever happened yeah it's not it's not great like the just the expectations so yeah last year's in november was at 31 and a half for that iowa minnesota game that was that game that was like zero degrees with like 20 mile an hour winds so that kind of makes sense but here's the thing those games went under it was the lowest point total not enough and the under hit when you look at the fact that like Iowa had Sam Laporta, who is a starting tight end in the NFL right now, and like is a prominent part of the Detroit Lions passing game, but like they couldn't get him open. <laughs> I just don't understand how the hell this happens with the talent that they have had. 
in these last several years. But, you know, I'm all for it. I hope Iowa wins, and the rest of the way, they just average, like, 10 points. I just think it's great. Honestly, like, it's funny to dunk on Iowa, but it is kind of amusing to me that in an era where points are everything, everybody's playing fast tempo, let's go, 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 get as many snaps as possible. I was just like, no, we're not going to do that. And they're very comfortable with who they are and maximize the amount of wins at least. It doesn't look great. And maybe their fans are frustrated, but, you know, I was only got one loss. They're hanging around. I saw a great clip earlier from Kirk Ferentz. I guess this was from a year or two ago. But he was doing like little video packages for the social media. And one of the things they asked him was, what's the most overrated stat in football? He goes, offensive yardage. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess like. I kind of feel like you have to say that. Yeah, practice him. practice what you preach. Uh, it's weird. It's not fun to watch. But like, they're winning games. I'd trade records with them. It's just like Dean Smith four corners, but <laughs> football. I love it. And more sad. Is there anything else you want to talk about from this past weekend? Or should we move on to looking to the ACC schedule ahead? Can I vent a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I was going to allow you to vent about NC State's game when covering Duke. But if you want to go ahead and knock it out here, that's I just, fine. I, one thing I want to put out there is a little stat for you. Okay. Since 2013, I'm going to list some teams to you. These are teams who have not won 10 games in a season, have not won a division, title or a conference title or gone to what we would generally classify as a major bowl game and i'm gonna also give you total wins in that 10-year period for that team boston college 62 wins illinois 48 indiana 53 maryland 57 nebraska 59 rutgers 44 kansas 28 texas tech 61 cal 52 arkansas 54 vandy 45 and nc state with 76 total wins in that time. Considerably more than any of those other teams. So this is the Dave Doran problem. Mm. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Dave Doran is now in Herb Sendak territory. Oh, my God. You're winning games. I think NC State fans owe Dave Doran a debt of gratitude for raising the floor of the program. He absolutely has done that. This team pretty consistently over those 11 years or whatever has won seven, eight games, you know, six to eight games, I guess it's probably safe to say played in a lot of Duke's Mayo bowls and sun bowls and crap like that. And that's great. I love that. That's now the expectation again, not saying this to like talk trash, but I can look across the table and know that like your team has won one game and state, has not really felt in danger of doing that ever in Dave Doran's tenure and doesn't feel like they would go to that level at any time soon. So that's great. Love that. At a certain point, you have to take another step. I think it's time to move on from Dave Doran. Wow. I'm there. Wow. This week did it for me. I'm there. It's not so much losing to Duke. It's the way it happened. Your offense just can't produce on the level it needs to. Personnel decisions are questionable. There's a really great recruiting class coming in, and that's the only thing that makes me a little hesitant. That is Herb Sendek territory, too, because I yeah. felt like for him, it was like, well, you know, kind of underachieving. Comes, here comes J.J. Hickson or yeah. whatever, you know? And that's tough. Like, that, it's, it's, a, it's a hard decision. It's not Matt Rule. It's not, 
you know, guys where we've been, there's been past years. Tom O'Brien was easy to move on from. I don't think this will be easy. I think if you're NC State and you're trying to preach to the fan base in this era of NIL and we need more resources and blah, 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 you got to show there's a vision for taking another step. And I think Dave Doran tried to do that by, I mean, Tenbeck went on to get a job, but like making a change at offensive coordinator that was splashy, Robert and I, whatever, but like it generated some buzz. Going out and getting Brennan Armstrong generated some buzz. But here's the thing. You've got guys on both sides of the ball. Peyton Wilson is a mid uh, a midseason All-American. He was one of the highest PFF graded players in the country this past week. MJ Morris graded out super high from PFF this past week. You have talent, and you're losing 24-3 to to Duke with a backup quarterback. Who completed four passes total yeah. in the whole game. And you lost that game by three touchdowns. Yeah, it is their worst loss against Duke. Fewest points that they've scored against Duke since 1956. I mean, to be clear, we don't we haven't played them since it, we don't play them very often anymore. Now we will like the schedule. I like my changed. stat anyway, though. Sure, as, I mean it's great. I just think like it doesn't encapsulate the Dave Doran era super right. well. Do you think that there is actually a move? Because I perceive, unless the season completely tanks, that there is no way that they will actually move on from him. But that's my outsider perspective. It's hard to say. I mean, they felt that way with Herb Sundeck. Like, there wasn't a clear, oh, this move is definitely going to ha- I mean, it, it's a bold move. It would take leader ac- athletic leadership saying, like, look, this is fine. But at this point, like, it has to be better. And looking ahead, so we're four and three right now. You've got Clemson next. So you have an, you have an off week. Then you have Clemson. Then you have Miami. So those are two tough games. Clemson and Miami are not, I think, what we once thought they were, but they're good teams. You could conceivably lose those two games. Now you're four and five. Then you have Wake Forest and Virginia Tech back-to-back. You should win those games. You should get to bowl eligibility. Then you have Carolina, though. It's possible that this team is six and six. And to me, this team going six and six is pretty damn bad, considering where expectations were. There, I mean, their preseason over-under was six and a half, so it's not crazy out I'm of I'm talking about expectations within the program. Okay, that's fair. I'm just saying. Like, it's, expectations within the program were that this team could win 8-9, maybe even be that 10-win team. That is the vision they presented. They didn't present. Now, if they didn't go get Brennan Armstrong, maybe that wouldn't have been the vision. But you went out and got a one-year transfer quarterback to come in. That sends a signal that, like, you're trying to compete. And all we heard about was... Clemson's down the divisions are gone so now you have this chance your schedule's a little bit more balanced you have this chance to be at the top and I bought it like I'll be honest like I bought it hook line and sinker and thought this team could potentially be in the ACC championship conversation come the end of the season but the reality is I just think that the ceiling is not where it should be and I'm not saying we need to be national title contenders but if you're winning 76 games in 10 years and you're in that neighborhood with your Boston College and Indiana and Illinois, like in terms of ineptitude at the like when the big games come around, that's unacceptable. You just have to be able to like I'd almost rather you be like Boston College just be bad instead of having the situation where it's like you're good but not great. That to me, that's a super uncomfortable place to exist. And I just think it's gonna require a change. Mm. I don't know what that change looks like. I don't even know who's out there that would make me happy whatever 
this is about the time of the year though when we start having those conversations about people that are in trouble which coaches might be looking to leave again i really don't think nc state unless this Probably goes not. completely south and they lose out is there but that's that's interesting to hear you say that you've been one of his biggest defenders and I'm I'm a little surprised. And I go back and forth because I still think, you know, recruiting class coming in, the way the roster shakes. But, like, the problem is a lot of the defense for him right now is the way the roster shapes up over the next two, three years. See, that's what you got to do if you're a coach. Yeah. It's a big pyramid scheme. So, if you're going to buy your job. <laughs> if, you, if you're going to buy it. That's why Jimbo's still around. <laughs> if you're going to buy into this recruiting class coming in, then the whole the whole thing, the whole pitch is the reason they were going to try to redshirt MJ Morris this year anyway. Is like, let's get him lined up, and they still could line up, with Jonathan Paler and, and Terrell Timmons, some of these younger skill position players who are there now, some of them incoming, and, and make that work. And I just, it, it makes me hesitant. I'd rather make a move, grab somebody who maybe has a clear vision. I don't know, what's Philip Rivers doing? I'm probably yelling at his kids, <laughs> trying to corral them. And and I think it's just it's going to be more of a thing of like, is there somebody out there who's exciting and promising? If not, then maybe you don't make the move. It, maybe it's only you only make the move if there's a candidate that's like Jimbo could no, be available. No, because you don't want to. You know, <laughs> just first of all, no. Second of all, you don't want to like fire him and then end up with right. You need somebody to, you, you need don't. Want. somebody in waiting and is is it appealing enough like i would argue i think it's i think it would be a pretty appealing job because that floor has risen but i don't know maybe that's it's, it's hard to to see how an outsider might see it but i just think there's there's something there that like uh, something has to happen maybe it's pulling the plug on robert and i after one year and saying like look this vision that you had where you came in and said we were going to be this explosive dynamic offense you're making a face like I like I was fully bought. No, in. no, I know you weren't. I, I just I'm. I have been hopes. there, man. I have been hopes, there. But when you're going through and like, you know, outside of a Marshall game where you score 48, that's an outlier. Other than that, the highest scoring game was 24 points against Notre Dame. Like we're in we're in Brian Ferentz territory if you take that one game out. Right. That's. I mean, that's what he does. That's what he do. I mean, it's just crazy. Like, that's worse than than Sendak territory because like that's just total ineptitude yeah if you take out the 48 point game against Marshall the other six games of the season we're averaging 13.6 points a game it's not good that's worse than Iowa <laughs> that's worse than Brian Ferentz that's Brian Ferentz's turn he might be his. well he's gonna be available yeah that, there you go there we go anyway <laughs> that's just that's that's my quick not so quick you can cut stuff out if you need to but it's not. It's just not acceptable. Mm. Let's talk about some other ACC teams Let's that aren't it. your team. Since your team's on a bye this week, they yeah, get to sit there God. and think about what they've done and rest up. But let's talk about the five ACC games that are taking place this week in week eight. First up, Saturday at noon on the ACC Network, the program you mentioned earlier that is just a big bag of who knows what. Boston College, they're traveling to Georgia Tech. Both teams are coming off of a bye. BC, if they win this game, would be 4-3 and three and has a real chance at making a bowl game, which just shows that they just give bowl games to anybody nowadays. <laughs> this would be Georgia Tech's first victory in the continental United States against Boston College since 2012. And I don't really know 
about either of these teams. I mean, Georgia Tech beat Miami. They also got whooped by Bowling Green. So I really don't know what to expect them from them. I kind of feel like I know what to expect from Boston College and that they're just not very good. Yeah. So it's a five-point game. I really like Georgia Tech here at home. I think that they are just the better team. Let the law firm of Haynes and Haynes take care of business. Give me the jackets. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the book on BC right now is containing their quarterback, Castellanos. And that's a sore subject in Atlanta these days is uh, a <laughs> guy's named Castellanos. <laughs> and there's one to left so if <laughs> so if they can contain them i like their chances i do think they are definitely the better team um i do like georgia tech here uh, and i like them covering five saturday three thirty on the acc network pit at wake forest no thanks hey man pit is one and oh since they put up their negative thoughts jar i don't know if y'all saw this but <laughs> uh, pit coming into this week trying to figure out how they're going to turn things around season in the toilet somebody i don't think we figured out who put up a blue jar at the entrance of the facility and it was put up a little sign that said just go ahead and put your negative thoughts in this get them out and you know what they did they took them out of the jar and they whooped up on louisville at home giving them their first loss of the season christian veyer played mistake free football since Phil Jorkovich has been benched, love that. On the other side of that sideline, Mitch Griffiths, he got benched against Virginia Tech. So I don't really know what to expect from Wake. I think the wrong team is favored. Wake is favored by two in this game. I like Pitt and their momentum. But you know what? I bet that Pat Narduzzi called ahead and was like, hey, can you make us underdogs? Because, I, again, I got a killer speech for this, how no one <laughs> believes in us. So go ahead and give Wake the line. Give me Pitt. Look. It's great. The negative thoughts jar. We can give all sorts of credit to that. But I really think it's more that you benched Phil Jerkovich. Like, I think the, it was the jar. They put him in the jar. And <laughs> this is... People just leaned over and whispered at the jar. <laughs> Phil Jerkovich. <laughs> I just think like it's been one of the things in sports, college football specifically, that as we've talked about on this show a ton... I just don't see how people don't see it that Phil Jerkovich isn't good. So now we're sitting here and I'm like, yeah, he shouldn't be a starting quarterback for a power five team that has any aspirations of being good and competing in games. And then look what happens. They bench him. They give their backup his first career start and they beat a Louisville team that everybody around this country was collectively like buying in as dark horse contender or whatever I don't think Pitt's a good team. However, I think Wake is really not a good team. So give me Pitt in this. It's going to be ugly. This might be like Iowa-Minnesota levels of offensive ineptitude because I don't believe that Pitt will duplicate what they did against Louisville. Um, I think this could be a sloppy game. I will do my best to not watch it, and I think, but I do think Pitt will win. This is one of those all-time coach-speak quotes from Dave Clawson, Wake Forest coach, that I just can't get behind. He was saying, in, in talking about the decision to bench Griffiths and play Michael Kern, he basically said, we've got two really good quarterbacks. And I just thought the other guy made a mistake and wanted to give Kern a chance, but we've got really good quarterbacks. 
No, no, you don't. You don't have good quarterbacks. You, if you decide to bench a quarterback, that means you don't like that quarterback and they're not being good. What's so, the old? If you got two quarterbacks, you got none. Yeah. yeah, you got zero quarterbacks. You still got zero. Yeah, Riley Skinner ain't walking through that door. I miss him. Me too. I, I love so that good. era. Let him play. This is. I was having this conversation. Just a brief aside. Having a conversation with people this weekend. I saw on Twitter, somebody was like, if you want to play college football your whole life, why can't you? Just play college football indefinitely. Yeah. If you're just not good enough for the pros, like Kia Clark play for like 30 years, he's not good enough to be in the NBA. Riley Virgin- Skinner. Virginia fans just turned this off. <laughs> hey, man, I'll, I'll, I'll stand him. But Riley Skinner, I feel like, is the perfect. That guy yeah. could play quarterback for three decades for Absolutely. Wake Forest. Absolutely. Saturday, 6.30 on the CW. The game we mentioned earlier, the oldest rivalry in the South, Virginia, 24-point underdogs against UNC. On this show, we have been very clear about our opinion of the Tez Walker situation. The NCAA let him down, kept him from playing, and since he's come back, he's been great. He had three touchdowns this past week. I would like to say on the record that I believe the NCAA needs to relook at his case and suspend him for one game while we figure (laughs) out what's going on. Uh, we just I have new just, information. I have some new information that I would like to pass along, and I think that they need to sit him for this week. Outside of that, though, what do you think is going to happen here? I think it will be a blowout, particularly yeah. because UNC has been running the ball so well. I mean, they Miami's run defense is pretty good, mm-hmm. and they just smashed it. Like Hampton had 24 carries, 197 yards against that Miami front, 41 points. I think that that is a real problem for Virginia's defense that cannot stop the run and also has been trouble had trouble with their offensive line preventing sacks, which is another thing that UNC does really well. So I just, this is a terrible matchup for UVA, even coming off a bye. So I think UNC will win, but you never know. That's why you get out of bed every morning. You just never know. Well, my upset special for this week is not this game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> this is going to be uh this is going to get ugly, I think. 23 and a half points. Uh, yeah, I think I think Carolina probably easily wins by four touchdowns. I mean, UNC has scored 30 or more points in every game this year and have scored 40 in the two games since Tez Walker has come back. So you got to assume that UNC is going to score at least 30 to 40 points against UVA. Can yeah. UVA score that many points? No. They're just not going to be able to score no. that many. But I think even if UNC's defense leaves the field, we're still punting. Virginia's like, ah, I just don't know. Still trying to establish the run game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's uh, play field position. <laughs> Saturday, 7.30 on ABC. The game that we all thought would be the nationally televised big mm. ticket game. Duke at Florida State. Yeah. Not Clemson at Miami. No. Which has been relegated to the ACC network later in the evening. This is on ABC. Duke. Unbelievable. But Duke's defense is absolutely legit. They have held all of their opponents to 14 or fewer points in all of their victories so far this year and are allowing under 10 points per game, which is fourth best in the country. They stuffed your run game this past weekend. Here's a stat that I found earlier. All right, I got two quarterbacks for you. Quarterback A and quarterback B. You can only pick one. Okay. Quarterback A... 13 touchdowns to one interception, 8.1 yards per attempt, uh, 1,482 total passing yards. Okay. Second quarterback, 1,897 yards, 
8.5 yards per attempt, 12 touchdowns, two interceptions, and also 13 points higher completion percentage. Mm, it's tough. It's tough. How many interceptions does quarterback B have? Uh, two. Yeah. Two I'll, to one. I'll go quarterback B. Yeah. Quarterback B, much better numbers, over 400 more passing yards. That would be Graham Mertz. Mm. Quarterback A is Jordan Travis, the yeah. guy that everybody thinks is the Heisman candidate, but is not really going to get any traction with all these Pac-12 people flinging the ball around. But anyway, yeah. I don't know. I think that – and he's also coming into this game banged up a little bit, hurt his wrist against Syracuse, 14-point spread. Give me Duke. I don't know. Like This feels like one of those games that Florida State could just win by a million, but I just think – We've seen enough data points now where Duke's defense is just legit, and they are going to give some problems to Florida State, and Riley Leonard might come back. Give me the two touchdowns. I don't think they win, but I think they cover. Uh, With Johnny Wilson expected to come back, I think Florida State is on a different level talent-wise than Duke is. That being said, I mean, that's how I felt about the Duke Notre Dame game, you know? felt that and and that game and it obviously was a Notre Dame win but was more competitive than I think I expected you know I I thought that that talent disparity would show up a little bit more I find this game to be a really tough call because Duke has been good Uh, don't get me wrong but you break that down and like the Clemson win Clemson was ranked top 10 when that happened Clemson now is not ranked. I think the perception of them has shifted a little bit. Outside of that, they beat Lafayette, Northwestern, and UConn all by a lot. So they took care of business. Can't really criticize them for that. Lost a close game in Notre Dame. Beat NC State. Is Duke the level of team that can compete with Florida State who looks like a college football playoff contender? I just don't think so. I, I think Florida State covers. I really do. I think this is kind of the game where that vaunted Duke defense struggles to contain a Florida State offense that, as we saw this past week against Syracuse, can be pretty damn explosive. Jordan Travis's numbers aren't crazy, but he takes care of the ball. He makes plays where needed. Keon Coleman is one of the best wide receivers in the country. That cat, that one-handed catch he made Unreal. was ridiculous. Guy's not, he's not human. Like, just he's making plays that are insane. And I just think, I think Florida State just has too much. If this were at Wallace Wade, which is wild to say, because you don't think of that as like a massive home field advantage. But I honestly think that's part of what helps them is it's like a weird atmosphere. But Donna Dote Campbell in Tallahassee, I like Florida State to win this. And, and I do like the two touchdown line. In, in picking Duke, I am assuming that Leonard comes back because he did sure. warm up for this game. I think if he's not there, putting this in the hands of somebody who has one career start, that might be too much to ask. Yeah. And I think that I think the numbers will grow if it becomes clear that Leonard can't go this week. But I think he has enough experience to be able to handle that situation well. But I'd be curious to see how mobile he is. Too. Yeah, that that'll like, be interesting. That's a pretty big impact on this game. But you still got Jared Verse rushing the quarterback and, and a Florida State defense that is pretty pretty tough too. And I, I think that there's a line between Duke ACC contender and Florida State national contender. And I think that gap is going to be at least two touchdowns big. Fair enough. And the last ACC game of the week is at 8 o'clock, as I said, on the ACC network between Clemson, a two-and-a-half-point favorite at Miami. 
Miami's season is teetering on the brink here after the Georgia Tech loss, couldn't compete with UNC, gave up 235 rushing yards, and Clemson's coming off a bye, and it still has an opportunity to save their season. Like, they have an opportunity to make the ACC championship game still. Like, they have a path if they win out. And I really don't know what Miami's mentality is. Like, are they the kind of team that is going to come out and salvage what's going on here? Or are they just going to collapse at home? I don't, I don't know. Clemson has won the last four games in this series by an average of 35 points. And granted, this Clemson team is not the same quality of Clemson teams that we're used to. But I kind of like Clemson here. I'm, I think Miami is like very, very close to their season just collapsing under the weight of expectations. I'd make the argument that Clemson's season is not in a very different place than that, though. I, to me, this is going to be two pretty desperate teams. This feels must-win for both of them. Now, you could definitely make the argument maybe a little bit more must-win for Miami coming, you know, when you're thinking about context of trying to av- avoid a third straight loss. They don't have a conference win yet. Right. Now, they have a some easier games on the back end with Virginia, probably NC State, as much as that pains me to admit. Louisville, who I think will have fallen apart even a little bit more by then, and Boston College at the end of their season. Florida State is sandwiched in there. Clemson... You know, looking ahead through the rest of their schedule, I mean, they've got this game. They've got NC State, which, again, NC State has slipped. But that game always feels – it gets weird and competitive. And I'm pretty sure it's like NC State's homecoming. It'll be a fired-up crowd. Then they've still got Notre Dame and North Carolina and South Carolina on their schedule. Like, this is – I just think both teams are in a position right now where they have to win this game if they want to preserve any hope of – kind of what they envision their season being you know arguably Miami for sure more because they have not won a conference game uh, while Clemson has beaten Syracuse and Wake Forest but let's think about that last time we saw Clemson that Wake Forest game was ugly sure was I don't know I mean I had faith in Miami this past week to bounce back against Carolina that was probably the thing I might have been most incorrect about outside of NC State you and I were talking about we had a bunch of things we were right about that was not one of them right and I think in this game, though, I actually like Miami to bounce back. I think that there still is more talent. I think that they, because they might have a little bit more desperation, I think that they will take care of business. But I do think it is a very, very close game. This could come down to the very end. I do think Miami has marginally more talent than Clemson. But again, I think it's a mindset game. I don't know what Miami's mindset is. Clemson's mindset is. I don't really know, but I know that they're able to run the ball. And having watched UNC just go right through Miami's defense Mm -hmm. is like the thing that's sticking with me. Like I give the ball to Will Shipley, let him run for 200 yards, take the decision making out of Cade Klubnick's hands and just go from there. Yeah, I mean, I would argue that I think the Carolina running approach to Miami or what they were able to do is an outlier. And so I don't know if I can use that to think, well, that's what this is going to look like in this game. But, yeah, it's hard to say. I don't know. Like, maybe they are able to establish that running game and assert their their will in this game. But, yeah, I mean, it is going to be all about, like, kind of the, the mindset and what they're able to come in. Are they going to bounce back? Are they going to fight back when they're kind of backs against the wall? But whoever loses this game is just in a, is in a bad spot for the rest of the season. Like, it just it kind of ends both of what they you know Clemson with that like you mentioned a path potentially to ACC championship game that would go out the window 
they would have a losing record in the conference again. Like, I just feel like you can't. Neither team can lose this game, and I think that makes for fun college football. Yeah. Cheese at Bowl. People are going to be there, I assume, watching this game, see which team they prefer. I love <laughs> which it. Fan I love is it. Which, show which fan base is the cheesiest? <laughs> I'm feeling the cheesiest <laughs> coat. That damn commercial. I hate that. That doesn't even make sense. Anyway, all right. That's the ACC slate for this week. A few games in the national stage to talk about between ranked teams. We got some fun ones. Yeah. There are some good games this weekend. First and foremost, the game everybody will be talking about, college game day will be at, Fox's whatever that show with Urban Meyer. Big noon kickoff. Big noon kickoff. Woo! Penn State, number seven in the country, traveling to the horseshoe to take on number three, Ohio State. We were talking about Miami. Manny Diaz and his defense at Penn State have been one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in college football. Number one in total uh, defensive yards. Uh, second in the Big Ten, only behind Michigan in terms of points. They give up eight points per game. Second in the nation in sacks. Just love what Penn State's doing, and defense travels even to loud, tough places to play like Columbus. The one question I have about this game, Ohio State played this past week without uh, Trevion Henderson and Emeka Ekbuka. And it's going to be really tough for them to win if they don't have their top running back and one of their top wide receivers against that defense. And I don't know what the status is of either of them right now. I think you would hope that they would be able to come back. But if they're out, I love Penn State. And I might love Penn State anyway. I mean, the line is four points. And I think Ohio State with uh, Kyle McCord still... Like, he's been playing better, but that offense just has not been a typical Ohio State offense. But this will be a tough This will be a tough one. I think that this will be the game that, even as I'm saying this, I'm, like, talking myself out of it. <laughs> but James Franklin in a big game, like, doesn't usually work out. But I feel yeah. like this is the game. This is it. Sure. I have been saying from the beginning that I really like this Penn State team. I had a lot of faith in them going into the season. I felt like uh, this team has a chance to be a college football playoff contender. And we can talk about the defense all you want. It's still also the number five scoring offense in the country. Now, They're beating teams by 36.2 points per game. Granted, they haven't played anybody that's ranked. but and this Well, well Iowa. Well, now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but that's... The, I hate... Aside. Ranked at the time. I hate that. Because... Why does it matter? Like Duke beat Clemson. They were top 10 at the time, but now we know they aren't that good. Anyway, whatever. I, I rather look at it as like, where are they now? Okay. So, so we can only make those decisions at yeah. that point or at the end of the season. Can we go back? Like, well, I mean, it's we... like when when you're when it's relevant, when they're playing them or when it's like you're looking back at. So right now, as of right now, when Penn State is playing Ohio State, the relevant information is they beat an Iowa team that is currently ranked. That's too confusing. I'm like, I can't do that. Okay. Go ahead. I like to live in the moment. All right. <laughs> so that is the only win on their schedule that looks super impressive. The West Virginia win, I think, is marginally impressive. But I think, too, like you're looking at defensive stats, and yeah, they shut out Iowa. Cool. I just shut out <laughs> Iowa just now. And like, you still <laughs> lost. <laughs> so, like, that part of it is not as impressive as putting up 31 points on Iowa. That's impressive. And so they have not faced an offense like this Ohio State offense. Now, that being said, I don't think Ohio State has faced a defense like Penn State's. They have not. 
And I would argue Ohio State has not faced an offense like Penn State's. Penn State has a very dynamic offense that is capable of putting up big, big numbers. You know, they have a running game that is multifaceted. It's not just one guy. So even if somebody does go down, like a Travion Henderson going down for Ohio State, they got other dudes. I feel like their offense has a little more versatility than Ohio State's does at this current moment. It's going to be tough because it's in Columbus. If this were at Penn State, I'd feel better about it. But I still think I like Penn State in this game. Um, I think that they are a more complete team than Ohio State is, especially if Ohio State's not fully healthy. right? I mean, obviously, that kind of shifts the balance a little bit here. But I just think Penn State up and down statistically looking a lot better. But I think the difference is actually, like I said, not necessarily going to be uh, the defense. I think it's the offense. Penn State, again, top five scoring offense. Ohio State's is not bad. Right? They're 20th in the country in scoring. But I think then when you combine that with everything else and when you start to think about them, you know, scoring defense, this, these teams are two and three in the country, it's going to be strength against strength throughout the entire game. And I think that this shapes up to be one of the best games of the year. I do like Penn State to go in and get a win and set themselves up for a college football playoff run potentially as we go. I love this part of the season because it is that like, I feel like this is the last week where you look at the schedules and be like, well, that team hasn't really played anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the like, you're finding out who's who. And I love that. I think it's so much fun to see like, I love Penn State. I think they're going to be really good. Then on Saturday, maybe they go in and lay a goose egg. And I'm like, never mind. James Franklin is still their coach. And, and so, like, I don't know. It's just a lot of fun for me to kind of see, like, who's legit, who's not. Here's the parlay I want to do. Yeah, hit me. Penn State wins this game in Columbus. In three weeks, Michigan travels to Penn State and wins mm. that game. But then Michigan loses at home and the season <laughs> finale to Ohio State. So they have the... And Iowa wins. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, honestly, but like just all three, I, three road upsets. Yeah. Why not? I love it. I love I it. I think it's plausible. Yeah. I could easily see Let's that. Ride with it. Yeah, that'll be a good game. Saturday at 3.30 on CBS. It's the third Saturday in October, which means that it is time to break out your cigars and get ready for Tennessee, number 17 in the country, traveling to Tuscaloosa to play number 11, Alabama. Alabama's favored by eight and a half, which seems kind of like a lot of points to me. But here's where I'm at with this game. I feel like Tennessee, their offense has been sputtering, mm -hmm. right? They struggled. They only got 100 passing yards this past week in a win against Texas A&M. Their right tackle, Gerald Mincy, is probably out for a significant period of time. They needed a punt return to actually win the game. So I'm not super convinced by Tennessee's offense which is the thing that they're known for being good at then you have alabama which has been playing better but also giving up tons of sacks they have now the fifth game in a row alabama's offensive line has given up four sacks or more sacks which is tied for the most games where a quarterback has been sacked in the fbs in over 20 years 20 so i don't have a lot of confidence in either of these teams but the vibes tell me that Alabama is going to come out angry after how Tennessee treated them last year and that big win and like carrying the goalposts and like throwing them in the lake. Like, I just feel like Nick Saban is just going to be perseverating on that and screaming at them all week. And I've just seen Alabama 
bounce back from that almost every time the following season. But I don't know if this team's good enough to do that. So, like, I don't know. I guess I would take the points or tease Alabama down to, like, three points. That's that's what I would do. Yeah, I think this is a great teaser candidate. I'm getting more and more into teasers. Love them. Yeah, my teaser last week really well, went really well, although I don't know that I even needed to tease it because things like Pitt actually winning or Missouri actually winning, I could have just... Could have just had an aggressive parlay. But then, you know, but I needed you get Texas to relax A&M. more. See, I think people don't put a price on their ability to be relaxed during those. There were parlays. You got to spend the whole game oh, yeah. like, stressed out. You get that teaser and you're like, got it in the bag. Well, I, was sitting there with, I was sitting there with like the earliest game in my in my teaser was Texas A&M. And I had Texas A&M at plus eight. So it was like mm. once that was settled, I had Pittsburgh plus 12 and a half and Missouri plus seven and a half. I felt comfortable mm-hmm. anyway. This is a great teaser candidate. This is weird. I feel like it's two teams that I I personally don't feel like are as good as their ranking suggests. We're sitting here talking about Alabama nationally, not just us, as like down. I mean, they're six and one, undefeated in the conference. Their only losses to a Texas team that is back. <laughs> it's still pretty damn good. I like Alabama in this game, but I would definitely tease this down. I like teasing it down to three ish. That feels right to me. We'll see how I feel a little later in the week. But, yeah, I do like Alabama at home to kind of bring Tennessee to reality a little bit. This this Tennessee team isn't quite quite what they were last year. I just – I don't – I didn't love what I saw from Alabama in that – at the end of the Arkansas game. Oh, I, I mean, didn't they either. let – And they got to – they have to protect Jalen Milrow. Like, that one dude for Arkansas, I forget his name, but he had like KJ Jefferson. Oh, no, no. No, the defensive yeah. – yeah. He had like four sacks. They got to figure out a way to keep Milrow upright. I mean, I know he's got escapability, but it's going to be tough against this Tennessee team that you know is fired up to to make a point too. Like the, we're we're still here. We're also you know five and one, <laughs> pretty pretty good team as well. But yeah, I do like Alabama here. Growing up with half of my family being from the Alabama area, this is the game that they hate the most. They like they hate Auburn, but. There's like a special hatred in their hearts for Tennessee. So I get it. Hope, hope Alabama can come out on top for this one. Last game of the day between ranked teams is at eight o'clock on Fox. It is USC, the frauds that they are, a seven point favorite at home against Utah. And I'm really mad, both because I lost money, but also because I had this game circled on my calendar all year as the game that USC would be exposed by a Utah team that just mashes people up in a paste with their defense. And now I feel like that's been taken away from me a little bit and everybody is a little bit lower on USC. I mean, they're mm-hmm. still favored by a touchdown, but I feel like no one will be surprised if that happens in this game now, which feels sad. See, to me, this is a classic. The worst thing that could happen to Utah is what is Notre Dame beating USC like they mm-hmm. did. And I think because I think Notre Dame's blueprint was very similar to what Utah's is going to be. Here's the difference. I know Sam Hartman didn't have a great game for Notre Dame. Utah like does not have a quarterback. They Bryson keep, Barnes. They keep going back and forth on who's going to play. Bryson Barnes is going to play. Well, he's going to start, but then they're going to use Nate Johnson as a change of pace. I hate that. This goes, if you got two quarterbacks, you got none. But, Whatever happened to Cam Rising? <laughs> What's he up to these days? How is he not back? <laughs> they, uh, the, like, the whole doctor situation where they're t- t- talking about how it had complications post-surgery. But 
it just feels weird that like the season opener they were talking about he might play mm-hmm. and now here we are yeah he's not gonna play this year yeah there's no reason for him to yeah so because of that i just don't feel super confident this utah offense has not been super great you know you look at recent games they beat ucla 14-7 only scored seven points against oregon state Cal they scored 34, but it's not exactly a team with a great defense. Look, USC, this was the only week this past week we could look at them and say they didn't score points, right? They put up 20, which you got to feel like in a bounce-back game, they're going to put up more than that. And I just don't know that Utah can keep pace. So I like USC to cover this. I totally get the feeling that this would be the game they'd be exposed going into the season, all this stuff. And I understand, like, there's potential risk that I'm sleeping on Utah a little bit. That defense is legit. I think there is a team that has been finding ways to win games. I hate that phrase, but they've been finding ways to win games. It's called the end zone. Yeah, I'm not sure there's going to be a way this week, and we could have a tough, tough stretch for Utah here. Three of their next four, USC, Oregon, and Washington. Not great. So I think I think Utah, top 15 team now, but when we look at this at the end of the year. Uh, maybe not as good as we think they are right now. I think you're right and that USC wins, but I am rooting 100% for Utah. I hope Utah just... That's cool. Absolutely. So I hope it's 3-0. Like, that's what I want the game to be. It just, might be. If so, Caleb Williams is done. Yeah. Here's I, an, I, here's an inter- interesting stat that I found about Arizona, another team that's been playing super well in the Pac-12, kind of flying yeah. under the radar because the beginning of their season wasn't very good. Michael Penix Jr., Caleb Williams, and Cameron Ward, quarterback of Washington State, have combined to throw 57 touchdown passes this year. All three of them combined against Arizona have thrown one. Mm. Arizona's defense playing legit. They yeah. are, once they got rid of their starting quarterback, like they have been very, very good. And that was one of the most surprising results of this past weekend. Just destroying washington state 44 to 6 like yeah, that's not I what i expected d- didn't that care for it uh personally but you know it's fine i like the cougs but i guess uh i guess they're they're not they're not legit i thought they were i mean honestly like when that team just a couple of weeks ago i was looking at them and was like this team might surprise some people and we might have a hell of an apple cup at the end of the year nope we won't no nope some other games that are on my radar that I'm really interested in uh, for this weekend, Air Force and Navy. I'm sure. always interested in the Commander's Trophy and how those shake out. We have a situation where the line is 37 points, so the over-under. And as you may or may not know, since 2005, the under in a Commander-in-Chief Trophy game is like one of the safest bets out there. 42, 10, and 1 between two military academies so that's interesting michigan playing at michigan state's always a fun rivalry even though michigan state's not very good this year and they just absolutely wrecked the end of their game against rutgers that they had won which was awesome and of course minnesota at iowa where we talked about line being at 32 and Iowa's going to win that game like 10 to 3 smash that under yeah we're going to sink the boat <laughs> destroy the feelings of the boat old iron sides the um only other game i have circled is my favorite line of the week 
I love, absolutely love Army covering 30 points against LSU. Mm. I just think that option, LSU has Alabama next week. Yeah. So it just feels like there's no way LSU covers 30 against an Army team that, again, you got this triple option. It's just, it's weird. This is a an LSU defense that is last in the SEC in rushing yards per game allowed. They're last in the SEC in yards per play allowed. They're 13th in yards per game, 13th in points per game allowed. I just think that they're going to struggle, and they're game planning for Alabama ahead of time. I'm not saying Army's going to beat LSU. I you get 30 points, though. But 30 points? I will take all of them. Hmm. I love it. Uh, that is the I'm probably going to make my biggest bet on that. Interesting. Hope they just have one of those like patented nine and a half minute drives yeah. that just goes down the field. Yeah, I, I just need a couple of those and it's over. Um, you also never did an intro. We just no, did, I know. Okay, I I know I didn't do an intro. Okay. I don't know how I'm going to handle that in terms of like or when you to just play record the music. it right now and then edit it back in. Well, I could do that, or I could just put this in and then have this be. <laughs> kind of the end of the show okay where i tell people to if they want to engage with us they can find us online on social media at pwo pod or you can email the show at preferred walk-ons at yahoo.com hello hello and welcome (laughs) avant-garde no intro today i don't know just do it just record it and then cut it or or hello and welcome to the preferred walk-ons podcast this is michael mcgraw i'm here with michael shutt and today we're going to talk about college football (laughs) 